Bienvenidos. That's California for welcome to the January 31st edition of National Review's Radio Free California podcast. I'm Will Swain, president of the California Policy Center. You can find my colleagues and me at CaliforniaPolicyCenter.org. You can find my friend and co-host David Bonson right here. He's an economist and author, the host of the Capital Record podcast, and the founder of the eponymous investment firm, the Bonson Group. Hello, David. Hello, Will. Back with you. Sorry, I could not record from New York last week. It was a doozy. Was that an NRI event you were doing on last Thursday? Week as well? yeah. uh, National Review had an event at the Union League Club in uh, New York where I spoke, Larry Cuddle spoke, Amity Schles, Kevin Hassett. What a great uh, lineup. Great wow. lineup um, of different economists and financial people. And then I gave the keynote address. And that was on the Thursday afternoon, and it was a lovely event. And, I mean, just packed. Union League Club is a real historical club there on Park Avenue. I've been to one, a a union club in, uh, gosh, Philadelphia, uh, Harrisburg maybe, and it's— Well, you know, the word union, um, Will, is common, and then club is a common concept. But I'm going to ask you a very specific question. The union club in Pennsylvania that I stayed at a couple of times was started during the Civil War to back the union, that union. I think that quite a few union clubs were started in the Civil War or started in the aftermath of the Civil War, and they probably each have their own history. This is the kind of thing you should geek out on sometime on the podcast when when I'm not here. When you're not here, absolutely. But I am going to start with history. I don't know how you get the union club when you got more Sutter info to... I, you know what? I'm not going to talk about Sutter today, but I want to talk about black gold, and that is the fact that, David, this week marks the anniversary of the 1969 Santa Barbara oil spill, oh. which precedes your arrival on the planet it by does, about but five not, years. But not my arrival in study of history. Yeah. I do know this. Yes. Well, it's, it, I'd be fascinated to know what you recall of it. My own, you know, I was nine years old when this thing happened, and my parents were subscribers to Time, Newsweek, Life Magazine, Fortune, et cetera. So, and the newspapers, every newspaper we could get. Mad Magazine? Mad, I was a subscriber to Mad Magazine so, by that time. Sports Illustrated would come two years later. Yeah. But um, my- I have my, a lot of friends that always had Sports Illustrated. They just got one issue a year. One but. issue per year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, Which I, is funny because I got every issue but that one. It, you, but probably not allowed in your home. And just it was I love sports. Wasn't your thing. Yeah. So uh, this this was a, a remarkable event. Um, it, you know the, the the history of it is well documented. But the the thing that I wanted to point out about it was it was one of those events in the '60s and '70s, and it was probably the event that produces one year later the Earth Day celebration of 1970, the first ever on April 22nd, 1970. And it was in part because it was so magnificently covered. There was also, I mean, are you, what are you skeptical about? I thought about? the Earth Day catalyst was not anti-fossil, but anti-nuclear. That was a part of it. It was all of these things. So it, was it was just the, anti-human life. Yeah, we don't like, want humans anymore. Anti-energy. We're very bad for and, Any movement of matter. Yeah, like, and you can imagine, though, the, the 69 Santa Barbara oil spill is remarkable because it takes place just off the coast of Santa Barbara, but it hits virtually every Southern California beach and many of the Channel Islands, you know, from San Miguel, which is wiped out, and it kills thousands and thousands of, of animals, uh, mm. and it just it befouls beaches, and it was on the front pages of newspapers around the world. Uh, it, it was a remarkably well-documented event, and it came in 1969, just a few years after the federal government uh, under Lyndon Johnson approved oil drilling in the channel, despite California's objection to it. And so, you know, at 65, the lid comes off, thanks to the Johnson administration. In 69, the oil blowout in the channel occurs, and it was, at that time, the biggest oil spill. It has since been... Um, 
surpassed by Deepwater Horizon. That's the one in the Gulf, and then the Exxon Valdez up in Alaska. But my my point is, is that for a number of you know what all three of those have in common though, oil. They were accidents. They were accidents. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, uh, but in all seriousness, it's the accidents that had people think that a massive, in California certainly, a massive regulatory state could stop all this by simply putting an end to oil drilling. And since 69, there has been no new offshore oil drilling in California waters. Uh, there's a there's a weedy sort of distinction here between the federal waters and the federal authority there and the state waters. Right, so a lot of people would ask, what are all those things doing out there off the coast. What, exactly. And what are they doing? They have been there since before 69. So a lot of the oil derricks that you can see, like if you're looking out toward off Huntington, of Huntington and Long Beach. Huntington and, and um, Seal Beach. Right. Off into Long Beach. Little islands with yeah. derricks. Um, so yeah, a lot of that is, is pre-69. And you and know, they're inactive. No, they're active. I mean, I'm sorry. They're they're. You can't get a new active. That's correct. Yeah. So, you know, the the point of this is really just to say that the, this undeniably terrible event uh, occurs, and after that, California thinks it has learned the lesson by simply declaring all fo- all fossil fuels really dangerous and bad. We we talked about you know the event a couple of years ago when during COVID all these ships were lined up, cargo ships trying to get into the port of L.A. and they were starting to have to anchor because the waiting time was so long to get into the port. They were anchoring over oil pipelines that were moving fuel from these offshore rigs in the in the channel into the port of LA. And one of those ships, of course, in a storm, dragged its anchor across a pipeline. Uh, Gavin Newsom and others immediately declared that, of course, we had to shut down capitalism and oil, uh, never once looking at their own involvement in that incident, which was capitulating to the uh, the International Longshoremen's Union, the port workers, and uh, allowing them to basically slow down uh, port processing. And so these ships get stuck. They're anchored over a pipeline facility, and uh, we get an oil spill. So long story short, the, the you know, I'm, I'm going to skip it because we don't have time to go into all the, uh, the, the, the catastrophic descriptions of what happened there. The interesting thing also is that Johnson leaves office. Um, Nixon is inaugurated in uh, 1960, in, rather in um, 70. Is it 60? It is yeah. 69. I'm sorry. Yeah. Inaugurated in 69. He That's ran right. in 68. 68. Yeah. Would have run against LBJ. dropped out. Would have run against Bobby Kennedy. He dropped out and uh, ended up beating. McGovern. No, McGovern 72. Humphrey. Humphrey. Sorry. Look think, at you. So I'm think, so impressed. So think about what the Democrats are going through at that period of time. And and because a lot of Republicans, you're one of them, and I'm one of them. We sit around going, I can't believe like our lack of ability to get the right candidates out there. And the Democrats had to go from a um, incumbent. Uh, LBJ didn't want to be president anymore, mm-hmm. and very likely w- it would have been a, a tough task for him to win in '68 at the popularity of the uh, the unpopularity of Vietnam War, and mm-hmm. he was incumbent. Things were not going well in 68. LBJ would have had a problem there. Uh, Bobby Kennedy would have won. And he, you have the tragic assassination in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Then then Hubert Humphrey. Right. That was that was next in line. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, of course, 72, they nominate George McGovern. So that's a period of time where you talk about the, public, the Democrats not being able to shoot straight, just in terms of their own electoral interest. So history has a way of just sort of cycling around. What's interesting, my, my memory of the history that you've just recounted is that Humphrey is hated by the left of the party, which is in the ascendancy at this point in the 60s. And by 72, they're not in the ascendancy anymore. You've got the, the end of the Vietnam War, Richard Nixon and Watergate, and the progressive left, you know, the Tom Hayden faction, let's call it, although Hayden's not 
at this point involved in formal politics so much as he is in, I don't know, uh, the uh, Students for a Democratic Society sort of stuff. But those guys win. McGovern takes over. Uh, you know, he gets the nomination. And as you point out, he, he just gets slaughtered. At the, by, at by the time, it was the worst electoral loss in American history. And he campaigned off of this idea. That's why people always say like, oh, we're screwed. The Democrats just want to give money and the people are always going to vote to get free money. So we lose. And people thought, well, the college kids all want their student debt forgiven and the uh, everyone, you know, Gen X or boomers who ever want more Medicare and Obamacare and blah, blah, blah. But you got to remember, Georgia Governor ran off of this idea. I'm going to give $1,000 to every single baby who's born at the time they're born, and then when they're 18, they're going to have this big pot of money. And people hated it. And it was like anyone who was under a certain net worth or whatever. It was this, ma- I mean, the dollars of it at scale were uh, just the largest redistribution ever. And um, Hugh Hewitt and I talked about this once. People, why do people hate it? They didn't hate getting $1,000. They hated being told that they were never going to make over, you know, 60 grand or fit whatever the number was then, which was a big number, you know, inflation adjusted. But like there was still this aspirational impulse and McGovern's big uh, buy vote scheme was totally hated. He was a terrible candidate. He was a terrible uh, person, a terrible policy platform. And the progressives were a run in the show and the country wasn't hyper progressive. Of course, Nixon was thoroughly corrupt and really economically. If, the de- if, if you had just more of a big government mm-hmm. Keynesian um, central planning vision for the economy, there was no reason for the Democrats not to support Nixon. Right. The reason they didn't like Nixon is he was staunchly anti-communist. And 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 they didn't and so they thought his anti-communism was extreme. But uh this was that was um and now at this point you're alive and kicking. Yeah. I'm getting ready. Uh you know, my my parents are getting ready to kind of pour the champagne and I um am born into a period of total dysfunction with both parties. Mm-hmm. And this notion if you think back 70 to 76 ish, like pre Reagan. Mm-hmm. Both parties, your people you have are McGovern, Carter, Ford, Nixon, Spiro Agnew. Yeah. Just these are our best and brightest. This is just, and then it, yet his, you know, today I would say like uh, Trump, Biden, like yeah. really. Yeah. So, you know, that's. that's Plus que change. Yeah. Ecclesiastes says nothing new under the sun. Nothing new. Um, yeah, so we, we could talk about this. It is a truly exciting event. I'll, uh, I'll just link to the Wikipedia page, but you can look it up yourself. 1969 Santa Barbara oil spill. David, this is a difficult conversation. I want to talk about uh, oh Tyree Nichols. I didn't do, oh, thank <clears throat> God. I thought it was going to be something else. <laughs> well, we, Whenever I, anything starts, this is a difficult conversation. I get so many PTSD Oh, uh, no, no. We're not talking about Scott Weiner. Um, I did not know this until long after, you know, most people, you know, long after we all knew about Tyree Nichols being beaten to death by a bunch of cops in Memphis. He was from Sacramento. I did not know this. And he only moved to Memphis. I just found that out right now. Yeah. Only moved to Memphis in 2020. And here's the New York Times uh, line that I wanted to highlight for us. And I, I do this. With hesitation, because I the last thing in the world I want is uh, to think about the parents out there thinking about their son's last minutes. Um, this is a kid from Sacramento, grows up in a uh, you know with a with a father who is a very church going guy, but he's a skater kid and he hangs out with his as you would expect a diverse crowd of skater kids. He's black, his friends are white and Asian and Latino and black. 
But they hang out at the skate park throughout high school, and he becomes part of a Christian ministry that works with street kids. And, but by the time he's 20 years old, this is 20, I'm sorry, 2020, he was about 26 or so. So just three years ago, uh, during COVID, he, just before COVID, in fact, he, he jumps out and goes to Tennessee. And what the New York Times says of that, for Mr. Nichols, it was California and its high cost of living that had begun to feel oppressive. And they point out that this is reversing a pattern of African-American migration from the South to California, where opportunity, as we've discussed on this show for African-Americans, has been legendarily outstanding for African-Americans trying to, you know, escape Southern apartheid or the difficulty of the Midwest or the Northeast. They, They came to California. They found work. They found prosperity. Tyree Nichols was the heir to that legacy and ends up reversing the pattern with countless others and moves down to Tennessee, where, of course, he falls into the hands of a group of bad cops who, it appears by all accounts, um, just murdered him, just murdered him in the streets. And a very, from all accounts that I've read so far, a really good and decent kid. By the way, uh, a skater kid, six foot three. 145 pounds. For those who aren't keeping track at home, uh, I'm considered very slender. I'm six foot three, 185 pounds. I'm 40 pounds heavier. This was a very small guy. In other words, kind of frail. He had Crohn's disease, um, grew up in Sacramento, wonderfully, you know, a church going family, and uh, and employed at FedEx. Um, Unclear exactly what provoked the cops, um, but we know the end. So I I just, you know, I I don't know. <clears throat> how to talk about this without sa- sounding, um, I don't know, maudlin. But um, just, you know, uh, Gavin Newsom says Republicans aren't even offering prayers. I want to talk a little bit about Newsom's response to Well, I thought this. when you offer prayers, that everyone gets mad. Well, he was on both sides of that. Uh, he said, you know, here we are. This kid's, you know, been murdered. And from the Republicans, there's just silence, not even prayers. And maybe that's because some of us, like they made me, a whole they made a whole hashtag out of thoughts and prayers as to make fun of that. Yes, they they want it both ways. If you if you actually offer your thoughts, praying, and prayers, not praying. Yes, yeah, they they don't like either one. If if it doesn't come bundled with a variety of new gun regulations, we'll talk about that in a moment too. But um, you know, it's just a it's a, a pray in private kind of thing, and yet here I am talking on a microphone with you and just a few of our friends and. I don't honestly know what to do for the parents. Like it just, it just seems like an awful moment. So um, uh, that's it. I, you know, I got nothing else to add. I, you know, this thing has been poured over by the press. And um, yeah, the, you know, there's the reason also that not last we added is that there is. I just don't believe there are people that don't know the two things that are being said. One that this was just savage and awful and disgusting and immoral. I don't. I mean, who could not be saying that? And then two, that the notion of black cops killing a black kid is racist, is white supremacy, is the right. dumbest, most insulting, absurd thing anyone could possibly say. So that all of it is true. And then to the extent the feds want to talk about what to do with federal police reform out of it and so forth, good policies never made in the aftermath of a highly emotive issue. It, Financial policy is not made well then. It, now, it's off. that's usually when it's made. I'm just saying it's not made well. well so. I, 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 
I understand your point, and I, I can understand the need to resist immediate response by, say, the Senate. But the policy is out there. You know, one of the things that I'd be interested in knowing more about, and please hear me on this, man. I am totally unprepared to talk about this part of the subject. But, you know, it's police. When you have pol- acts of police brutality, is it is frequently in a context of police unionization. Cops are generally good. We know this. And the few bad guys are frequently protected at such length uh, despite their outrages against the public and other officers, the unions protect these people. Now, I don't know anything about these guys. <clears throat> I don't know whether there's even a police union. I don't in either. Tennessee. So, I don't either. Why, I mean, but what I do know, as you just pointed out, is the. Um, I the, know they were the, black. The mental gymnastics of the left to try to suggest that somehow when blacks, when black people kill other black people, it's just more evidence of systemic racism. Of white supremacy. And white supremacy. By the way, I just want to point out, they're not saying, they're not trying to connect some dots with like, look, obviously, prima facie, this doesn't seem to be a racist situation, yet here's our argument for some systemic thing or societal thing and how we can sort of connect through a a syllogism I assure you I would disagree with, but make a point to connect it to white supremacy. What they're saying is, what is wrong with you? Mm. It's so obviously white supremacy. Mm. And and I don't I don't think it's helpful. It's not a good uh, tribute to the, the um, life of uh, memory of this young man. And it also lets these guys off the hook. They're commit, they committed an act of brutality. They should be, and they will be, they have been arrested. I believe they've been charged with second degree murder. So this thing's going to play out, and as far as any of the other aspects to it, it's it's just all a sideshow. Um, do unions, um, which are not federal, they are state and local, do unions sometimes protect bad cops? We know they do. Is there anything the feds can do about that? I sure as hell hope not, because it is not their jurisdiction to intervene with local law enforcement, and it is not their uh, jurisdiction to intervene with unions either. And do we know that unions are involved in this? Union corruption, union protection? We don't even know that. Mm. All I know is a young man died, and it has nothing to do with white supremacy. Yeah, I'll end it there. Um, Let's talk about uh, Kamala Harris. On to brighter things, right? Uh, Less bright things, dimmer things in some respects. So um, story in Politico here, David. uh, You know that if I didn't do this podcast with you, I would not know. I'm being serious right now. I'm not being funny. I would not know that she was vice president on a week by week basis if I didn't have a weekly reminder recording this podcast. I swear. You and most of America. Yeah. Except for Elizabeth Warren, who remembers every day, apparently. So she's in an interview, Elizabeth Warren is, with a Boston radio station where I'm now quoting from Politico. She emphatically endorsed President Joe Biden, uh, who was running for a second term, but hedged on the question of keeping Vice President Kamala Harris on the ticket. Quote, I really want to defer to what makes Biden comfortable on his team, she told WGBH. Well, that's not a hedge. That's a slap. Yeah. Well, she um, immediately tried to qualify her response. Political reports didn't change the but that didn't change the radio station's headline. Warren stopped short of backing Harris for VP in 2024. On Sunday afternoon, Biden tweeted a photo of himself with Harris in the Oval Office. The caption, quote, proud of what we've gotten, proud of what we've gotten together at VP, so Warren, she, so Warren said, "I would defer to Biden if it, if he has the team that makes him happy." Right. Okay. Can I say something overtly sexist, please? But that I really believe. Yes. If a man said that, they may just be hedging politically. Mm-hmm. Liz Warren saying it—that's just straight 
hating a woman. <laughs> <laughs> and it is interesting yeah. that you bring this up because uh, Politico goes on to interview Jennifer Palmieri. Oh, God. You may remember oh, her, yeah. David, from the Obama administration. She's the aide who wrote the book about misogyny and politics following her stint on Hillary Clinton's 2016 campaign. She writes... Uh, we have com- we have a compounding problem of compounding narratives about women in politics here. One, there's a lot of speculation and attention around a, whim- a woman vice president, and then when a woman speaks about another, there's an assumption that she's trying to undercut her, which is I don't think what's happening. Well, well by, by the way, Palmieri, <laughs> actually, you are exactly right. That is completely what I'm doing, and it is because of Liz Warren's gender. Yes. I'm totally doing what she's saying, you and I'm not apologizing for it. No, but I, I think the, the, the... But that first part she said is the most sexist thing ever. Yes. That when a person criticizes a female VP, it's because they're female. Like, you're supposed to, on one hand, say, you're ready to be VP, you're ready to be president, we're all equal and in this together, and then criticism must mean, hey, hey, no, lay you're off. Sexist. That, that's beyond the pale. I mean, it's just so infantilizing and, and patronizing. So I'm not doing that. She's doing that. But as far as the fact that Liz Warren was getting kind of, you know, everyone knows what's going on here. I'm not going to say anything else. This is where you get this kind of really obvious bias in reporting. And all reporting is uh, subjective. Uh, We have talked about this in the show before. My philosophy of journalism and the problem of objectivity. Objectivity doesn't exist among the human animals. But um, she goes on. The reporter, I'm sorry, they go on. The reporters to sort of like, they're not just quoting Palmieri. They now come in to subtly tell us that Palmieri is right. Later in the story, they say, while the steady drumbeat of criticism directed at the first woman and person of color to serve as vice president has always... Yes, has always carried an undertone of racism and misogyny. Who says that? These are the reporters, David, at Politico. So any criticism always carries with it the undertone of racism and misogyny. Okay, so so here's the question. There was a Democratic primary. I wasn't in it. You weren't in it. We weren't allowed to be in it. Hmm. No Republican was in it because it was a Democratic primary. So who went after Kamala Harris, Kamala Harris? Uh, well, there is the person who's currently the president, mm. Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. There was Liz Warren. Mm-hmm. There was Tulsi uh, Gabbard. Who's my dog? Well, yeah, but she's out now, so yeah. that maybe there'll be like, see, that proves oh, the see point. Mm-hmm. Well, who's my dog in uh, El Paso? Love that dude, Julian oh. Castro. That yeah. opened up mm-hmm. the most important issue was for uh, men in prison to be, be able to get right to abortion. That's right. Julian Castro. <laughs> this happened. I swear to God, just Google it. Okay, <laughs> I remember Beta O'Rourke. Beta. Um, all of these people went after Kamala. Right. <clears throat> Why does that not reek of sexism and racism? Oh, I think it is. I, th- oh. I think it does. Yeah, it's got to. That's the only explanation, David. There is no other reason to oppose Kamala except on the basis of her gender and her racial identity. That's it. You cannot take issue. Now, here's what's fascinating. Um, Kamala, meanwhile, has been uh, pilloried uh, in the in the press, but primarily only in the right wing press. I'm just going to say that's not true. Nah. No, no, no. On this story in particular, oh, I'm going to oh, tell you okay. about. I'm all so right, sorry. Right. I should have prefaced right. this. Yeah. In in this uh, in the last week, she also gave a speech on the anniversary of the Roe v. Wade decision. It's 50 years since that decision was made, and of course, this is everybody knows the highlight story of 2022. Really, one of them. Um, but she, she is now being called out because inciting the Declaration of Independence by trying to propose, she was proposing or asserting that Roe v. Wade is really a fulfillment of the Declaration of Independence. 
And here's how she she cites the, the declaration. Quote, we collectively believe and know America is a promise. It is a promise of freedom and liberty, not just some, but for all. I think she means not just for some, but for all. A promise we made in the Declaration of Independence that we are each endowed with the right to liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Mm-hmm. She yeah, leaves that, out a yeah, key yeah, line yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is the right to life, right. liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Yeah, oh yeah. Um, so it, it's just, it, it, I, I would be tempted to cut her some slack. Why, because she's why a, would anyone who set, can see a right to an abortion in the Constitution not be expected to see the right to life out of the Declaration of Independence. <laughs> it takes the same analytical skills on uh, both directions. A red pen, a Sharpie. So you're saying you might give her benefit of the doubt that it was just a... Uh, uh, She's a horrible speaker. She's a yeah. horrible speaker. And I'm trying to be super generous to a person who really has what not I think it is is uh, honestly I think it's on purpose and um, uh, for a worse reason than someone trying to deny right to life or re or do revisionism of the declaration. I think it's a speechwriter and an anal and a staff member that's like, hey, you know what? Some people are going to kind of make hay of the fact right to life because we're you know pro choice and remember, come on, we love abortion, right? Love that thing, yeah. So we can't like right to life could get a little weird. Let's just kind of skip over it, and then no one else is like, you know what? If you skip over it, it might draw more attention, yeah, to it than might. saying it, yeah. and and no one was like. Thinking, and then they just did it. Do you suppose liberals would be more in favor of guns as that was, if that were the only method of abortion? That's a terrible thing to say, and I'm sorry I even joked about it. Hey, let's move on because that deserves no more time at all. Um, let's move on to talk about uh, finance here, David. You sent me a couple of fascinating charts. Uh, one was about uh, state tax revenues. You were comparing Texas and California. And the other was about out-migration and, and in-migration, just migration patterns among the U.S. states. Let's start, if we may, with the state tax revenues, which seem to show that uh, California is lagging well behind Texas in terms of uh, 12-month rolling income tax, rev- state tax revenues. Well, that's how it seems to. It's complete. I got it. It's, yeah, but I'm not a scientist. You are. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, you're when uh, when there's two lines, uh-huh. one of them represents one thing, the other okay. represents another, got and it. then the line is going higher yes. or lower. That, right. It's just capturing kind of the numbers of okay. it. Okay. So what would make what would make tax collection in California go down on an absolute basis, not relative to Texas or Florida? Just like you you bring in ten bucks, or then you bring in nine bucks. Mm-hmm. What would make it go down? Um, lower wages, or because such a significant part of California tax collection is um, income, or lower investment uh, gains because they tax investment gains and uh, investment income as um, normal income in California. Mm-hmm. So what are the kinds of things that generate a lot of tax revenue in California? Exercise stock options. Silicon Valley had a terrible year in 2022. Um, the overall income right now, we simply have, it's tied for the lowest unemployment rate we've ever had in the country, 3.5%. But on a daily basis, you're hearing of Microsoft laying off 10,000 workers and Googling off 11,000 and Amazon. It's all in the technology sector. There's been an awful lot of layoffs, specifically in Silicon Valley, San Francisco, Palo Alto, you know the deal. So uh, the cyclicality of California's economy that we've talked about over and over on this show and that basically cost Gray Davis his job post.com in the early 2000s, 
uh, this is rearing its ugly head. So California got a whole bunch of money from federal aid, but then now we're back to kind of a post-COVID reality, and the economy's not in recession. Uh, things are not terrible nationwide, but the cyclical concentration in tech is hurting California marginally at, at most, but the migration out of California is hurting California is hurting their coffers of tax collection. So the high rates are still there. They didn't lower rates and therefore bring in less money. They just have less income to tax as more people are not working here and there was less stock and IPO and very, uh, various forms of capital markets activity that was a boon to the um, surpluses of 2021 and has become a disaster in 2022. Hence your interest in the migration chart that you also sent well, me? Well, we're interested we in migration all the time because it speaks to, I mean, Adam Smith wrote in Wealth of Nations about the different things that generate, you know, prosperity in one place geographically and politically as a unit versus another. So migration of people, what they do with their feet is quite important economically, culturally, you know, the overall civic health of the nation. And I think it's also a point at which uh, law conservatives over the years have been chicken little. And the left has gotten a great armament around saying, you guys said everyone would leave and people haven't left, you, and, and you guys don't know what you're talking about. And there, there's a lot of reasons for that. People did substantially misunderstand how, the amount of time it takes for an empire to fall. Mm. And the notion that a state of this natural beauty and embedded commerce industry um, you talk about the history of this stuff all the time. I tease you a lot. But if people think that California is going to lose, like turn into Detroit in one minute mm -hmm. after the hundred years it took for Hollywood to become Hollywood and Fresno become Fresno and San Francisco become San Francisco, you don't get massive trade ports like Long Beach, San Pedro and San Francisco and have it fall apart in a minute. It just isn't how it works. Yet, the concentration risk of California being almost entirely tethered to tech and real estate um, has something they've taken 25 years to do, and that can happen very quickly. But the migration thing during COVID is clearly um, what caused it, and I do believe we're in the early innings of a cycle now where those people don't come back because it's not those kind of um, maybe middle class and maybe upper middle class red state types that said, I'm moving to Arizona, now I can get go to church and, and own a gun and not have everyone act like I'm some kind of a para, uh, 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 parasite in the community and get a better job and have le pay less for a house or what have you. So you've seen a lot of those types leave California. That's not what I think the data shows. That's been going on for a long time. What I think you now see with net negative migration is the cool kids that are still greenies and probably pro-aborts and all the normal things, but they're saying we got to get out of here. Mm -hmm. And it's too regulatory, it's too expensive. And also, I don't think a lot of those um, culturally liberal tech types, I, don't, I think they have a sort of libertarian streak in a lot of ways. And I don't think they're into cancel culture, and I'm not even sure where they are on like transgenderism and mm -hmm. some of the Scott Wiener stuff. I don't mm -hmm. think I don't I don't get the I don't think that animates that much. So all of a sudden, um, the thing I've said this on podcast before. I've written about it. It's one of my great theories. I don't even write a book on it because it's really mostly not provable or falsifiable, and it's not usually a space I hang out in. I think that the other cities weren't cool. Now they're cool. Mm. 
And so they're like, why do I stay in San Francisco? Because mm-hmm. now Denver's got a, a good bar scene. That's right. And I know it because I opened an office in Nashville. We know what's happened yep. in Austin. Mm-hmm. A lot of these cities that are more favorable to the tech community, and there's also an unbelievable amount of tech of young tech talent, some of these great college towns around our country. And I don't think that they need California. Yeah. And I don't think that door is going to hit them in the blank on the way out. Yeah. Um, okay. So related, uh, Gavin Newsom came out just a, well, it was a few days ago now uh, and said that um, it was in the midst of his state of the state address. And he was saying that uh, Newsom says, here's the headline from uh, Sacramento Bee. Newsom says 95% of Texans pay more than Californians in taxes. But is he correct? Um this is a fascinating article in part because the 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 fact claim of Newsom's is never really fully defined. What does he mean when he says um, that uh, Californians that ninety five percent of Californians I'm sorry ninety five percent of Texans pay higher taxes than Californians? I'm not even sure how to how he how what that means. Well, um, he'd have to have a, a distribution model showing the average taxes paid across property. And uh, I mean, again, Texas without a state income tax, I assume he's doing gymnastics on their sales tax. He, he He's not even getting into the weeds here. The, the, the sort of the fact well, checker. California has a higher sales tax. Yes, of course. But that's here's what's fascinating. The, the reporter cites just two entities to make his case and spends most of his time on the left liberal group, the Institute on Taxation and Economic Policy. And that's what Newsom's office offered as their response to the reporter's inquiry. Like, where did the uh, where did the governor get this number? Oh, well, we got it from a 2018 study by the Institute on Taxation and Economic Policy. It's a left group. And their assessment is not at all on Newsom's claim. Their assessment is that California taxes are fairer. Now, when the left says taxes are fairer, what they mean is that it, they are more punishing of wealth producers and less um, less onerous to people at the bottom level, okay. um, ostensibly. So uh, the group spokesperson told the Sacramento Bee, we do not compute a specific percentage of Californians who pay less or more than Texans, uh, but California does have the nation's fairest tax system. So, okay, does not answer the question at all. Well, in a, in a way, I think it's pleading guilty. I would say that it is pleading guilty because they don't. There is no measurement. But so, but, that, but that's not. That's like the old Newsom. I like the new Gavin better. <laughs> I mean, that's a, a really ridiculous mistake to make. I think he was hoping that because there were numbers, most of us, most of his listeners, would be lulled into incomprehension, and that most reporters, being liberal arts majors, wouldn't have you, any you idea what, what he was though, talking about. I kind of think. I mean, I guess it's been a little while since we've done an anti-Trump thing. I will say this. I think that's the new normal um, where we, politicians have always lied and they've always sure. done spin. But the notion of saying something categorically false and just believing no one's going to care, that's part of the current postmodern moment. And that is a completely bipartisan thing. And by, by bipartisan, I don't know that a lot of Republicans do it, but I know Trump did it all the time. Sure. Just say something totally untrue. Right. And just be like, oh, I don't, what's your date on that? And just make up a number. No one cared. And then his crowd would be totally, totally right behind so him to say he's but right. But for Newsom to say 95% of people pay, like, look, you can make the claim. 95% of people have a more fair tax code, and I, or I like the tax code for 95%, right. but all that's fine. Yes. I mean, it's that's the debate we have right. every day. 
But yeah, to make that mathematical claim and just assume we actually kind of just know it can't be true. Well, we do know, and here's why. Because it's buried in this guy's analysis. I mean buried in the bottom half of the story, almost the last third of it probably here. In another study, the reporter writes, the Tax Foundation, a conservative-leaning Washington-based research group, compared the taxes paid by individuals with a $100,000 income in Texas and California suburbs. Right, So we're trying to compare apples and apples here across two states. The Texan paid $6,335. The Californian paid almost twice that amount, of just under $12,000. Um, so the, the, the author's conclusion, Jared Walshack, whom I've actually spoken with, very bright guy, says, quote, Texas is a much lower tax state than California, an experience that holds true for most taxpayers at different points along the income spectrum. Uh, the, uh, so I, I think what's, what's really fascinating here is that an attempt to fact check finds that Newsom made this stuff up, cited a report that says nothing to support his claim, then buried the information. Well, and again, I think you said it a moment ago, but I want to repeat, the guy who did the report specifically said, we don't even compute that. That's right. We do not compute a specific percentage of Californians who pay less and more taxes. So he denied that they even tried to do it, let alone that it concluded that. That's right. Yeah. So the headline should have been- uh, But that graduated rate thing is interesting. So they're saying, yeah, they're trying to- there's just this is complete fabrication yeah so um there you go uh the other thing that i wanted to talk about here i'm going to skip this story here because i want to jump right into then do you see the story there david um about uh these back in napkin numbers that tax foundation did looking at a hundred thousand income in california mm -hmm. and looking at the uh property tax sales Mm -hmm. tax income Mm -hmm. tax average and essentially concluding that the Texan is paying half of the mm-hmm, Californian, mm-hmm. those back of napkin numbers are prima facie completely fair and, and, and acceptable. Yeah, they, they really do a good job of breaking them down explicitly, and they show that Newsom is way wrong, completely wrong. Not a huge surprise. Uh, I am sad that the Sacramento Bee, which is generally a, you know, a reliably... It's a, a left-of-center newspaper, especially on its editorial page, but they do some great work. But I love this line, like, <laughs> the big difference between the two states is that Texas has no income tax. Yeah, that's yep. kind of important. That does move the and needle. California kind of relies entirely on so that. So, like, you, ju- you just start off with, here's your math. One state has um, a very high income tax system, the highest in the country, and it is true, it's highest in its... Um, progressiveness on the on higher income but it's still high in the middle tiers too and then the other state is zero okay so let's start with that and then the sales tax are basically the same technically california is a little higher and then the property tax is higher in texas than california so now if you're a renter in texas we already know you you've won and then if you're a property owner in texas you would have to assume you have a very expensive property and make almost no money so I would like to know if there even is a taxpayer, apples to apples in Texas, who pays more than California. Because I don't really believe it. No. I was offered a job in Texas a couple of years ago and did a quick analysis, just went around on the web and looked. And I would get it if I was not offered a single extra dollar, I would have had a, a pay increase basically on my cost of living of 21%. Let me evaluate that for you next time. Because remember oh, that course. time you tried on your own time? Oh, was, buddy. This is why I asked you about not, That was not your best moment. Oh, please. That was, that was um, in 2017. God, we've been doing this podcast a long time. It's a long time. I Have knew we you had our thousandth episode yet, or does it just feel like it? 
<laughs> uh, probably feels like it to you. Yeah, we're on 262 right here. <clears throat> but I take know. out, because there's been like three I haven't done or more. Not a lot. I, I take those out and count them. Okay. Uh, we're under two, 260 then. So the other thing that I would point out that the story does not is that however much California charges, and it appears to be pretty reliably, <laughs> pretty true that we pay twice as much as the average Texan, uh, we're not... Our taxes are not high enough to account for all of our spending, David. This is the big problem in California. Even with all that well, massive- And in America. In America in yeah. general. Yes, we, you know, but this, the state has so much money off the books in terms of like unfunded pension liabilities, which ought to be included every year in the, in the budget by constitutional law. That's something that CPC is working on for a policy. You can imagine how well that'll fly in the Democratic controlled yeah. legislature and with a Democratic governor. But seriously, you ought to be required in your budget to pay for the things you say you're buying like retirement benefits for public employees and we don't we we owe something in the neighborhood of 1.6 trillion dollars state and local on unfunded pension and other retirement benefits and on bond debt um, none of that is included so we're way below we're way behind 1.6 trillion dollars off of using all that cash we bring in through taxes we are we are still not paying our bills, so and we play these mathematical tricks of hiding the money off the books. Um, sorry about that, Sheridan. Um, I'm just throwing my papers around here. So uh, the story I want to move to quickly here, David, is uh, also in the um, SACB. This is the headline: These California Democrats want to raise billionaires' taxes. Will they succeed this time? The headline tells you uh, what you need to know, which is that Democrats are always trying to raise taxes on the wealthy. And uh, they have been doing it for years. Uh, will they succeed this time? And I think what's interesting here, David, is that this sort of taxation that raises the cost of all products and services in California is precisely, I'm just asking people to you know, kind of grasp onto this part of the narrative, if you would. I'm not saying it's legit. I'm just saying it's my perspective. Tyree Nichols grows up in Sacramento, leaves the state in his 20s to move to Memphis for better financial opportunities and freedom. And meanwhile, a guy and better in, barbecue and better barbecue and a guy his age who's in our state legislature says, number one, that billionaires aren't paying their fair share. And so what he has proposed, Alex Lee has, uh, San Jose Democrat, has reintroduced a bill that would tax California's billionaires at a rate of 1.5 percent starting in 2024. In 2026, those worth over 50 million dollars would face a 1 percent tax. So. Um, and here's what he says about the need for this. For quote, for far too long we've allowed income inequality to deepen and fester in this state and in this country where the rich, <clears throat> pardon me, the rich get wealthier and the middle class shrinks and falls further behind. This is what happens when you're 27 years old and you go into the legislature and you have been fully steeped in Marxist doctrine. Um, this would target a person's worldwide net worth, which includes, Lee says, realized and unrealized assets like stocks, real estate, art and collectibles, farmland and offshore accounts. Offshore accounts he's going to count. Um, supporters of Lee's bills, this is the, uh, the, the literal money shot, include several other Democratic lawmakers and labor groups like the Teachers Union and American Federation of State County Municipal Employees. Um, Assembly member Liz Ortega of Hayward, one of the co-authors co of the bill, says, quote, this is not just about income inequality. It's about addressing the billionaires who can afford to send themselves to space but refuse to pay for our infrastructure, for our higher ed, for our education, for our children, for our hospitals. Excuse they refuse me. to pay, David. Who's she talking about? She's talking about all those billionaires who Go will not pay. Okay, who's she talking about? Oh, Elon Musk. Biggest taxpayer in the history of California. That's right. But he won't pay. 
So um, nobody's going to pay this tax. Um, and that's the whole point. And that's why uh, left-wing luminaries from Larry Summers to Jason Furman, uh, Obama, Clinton, Biden, um, policymakers and advisors have come out and said this is a debacle of an idea. It's why 15 out of 17 European countries got rid of it that tried it. Um, I don't know if you have time to put into the show notes or not. I wrote um, a whole chapter in my Elizabeth Warren book on this idea, and Commentary Magazine published that chapter as an article that's available for free on the web. So you'll find the link, Will, just by Googling Bonson Wealth Tax Commentary. It will come up, which, by the way, I had dinner with our friend John Padoritz last week. Oh, wow. And, and he remains one of the most thoughtful people in conservatism. Um, the wealth tax is a debacle of an idea uh, constitutionally and economically, but at the end of the day, that is not the biggest thing uh, to say. It's that no one will pay it. And by the, that, you of course they will. They will have. They will, they will come up with fifteen um, exceptions and loopholes, and then and then the capital uh, allocation efficiency that exists from the best and brightest will immediately go and find all the ways to avoid, and you will lose tax base in California. This will be a massive money loser. It will never pass. It's not going to happen. If there's more legislative support, more CTA support, that's fine. But Gavin Newsom can't let this and won't let this become law. Uh, the feds always have an excuse. Bernie and Liz can go say it because they know the Supreme Court will throw it out. It is um, totally – remember the uh, – it's been a couple years, but the – Constitutional language requires a, a representation proportionate, you know, with population, mm -hmm. and it's al always argued that the income tax wasn't constitutional until they specifically created an amendment for it because it goes against the language of I think it's Article Two. The wealth tax doesn't, and yet on a state level, that they won't have to deal with our pesky United States mm -hmm. Constitution. Mm -hmm. um, but the migration we're talking about now would just come in spades. So uh, it's a joke. It's uh, posturing. It's Marxian antagonism done for the purpose of class struggle, and they ought to be ashamed of themselves. Love your prediction. Uh, let's earmark that one, that Gavin Newsom will, will oppose this bill. That would be fascinating. He was able— Gavin Newsom can't let this go into law. Do you suppose that was the real reason he opposed the lift— LYFT backed uh, proposition on the on the November ballot that would have raised almost precisely this kind of income tax uh, thing. This wasn't global; it was just in state income. Uh, would have raised the tax on quote unquote millionaires and billionaires, and it would all have been Lyft was playing a game. They were totally. really just yanking Newsom's tie and pulling his hair and making him come out against a bill that would have raised billions if successful. For, and pitted unions against unions and yes, so forth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so Newsom had the backing of the teachers' union opposing that bill, but maybe this is the reason the teachers' union opposed that bill, because they wanted Alex Lee to carry this bill forward again in the legislature and Lyft interfered with that that game. Now Newsom's going to have to come up against the teachers' union, though. The only, the, if you're a lefty ideologue engaged in uh, Marxian classism, there's no... Um, reason be against the bill in terms of its progressiveness, right? Just like a graduated income tax rate. The reason that uh, lefties that love the idea of a more progressive tax code um, scoff at this bill, guys like Larry Summers, who has a fantastic op-ed published in the Washington Post a couple years ago uh, about the testimony of history against these types of concoctions. The reason they oppose it is because it doesn't raise revenue. Mm -hmm. 
so why do you want a wealth tax? Because what did they say? We want more infrastructure. We mm-hmm. want you know better schools. You're not going to if you're not going to get any money, and if you're going to lose money. Now remember, we say, well, if you raise the income tax, you're going to get less revenue. Mm-hmm. But we have not ever made that case very well in the sense of over time what it does to the tax base that you need a flatter tax base mm-hmm. to ultimately move the needle. The, the point that I could make for till I'm dead is if you make the tax rate 100% on the top 1% of people uh, you and uh, you still don't get the revenue you need to fund these deficits, that nobody is really being serious until they talk about massive taxes at middle income earners. That's, mm-hmm. that's the only way at scale you can get more tr- money in your pocket as government. No one's going to say it. It's, it's totally unspeakable. The wealth tax doesn't generate money. That's why no one's going to expend any political capital. But uh, Alex Lee and and so forth, they're not expending political capital. Say they're for it because they know it's not going to go anywhere. He's in his twenties. It sounds provocative. It's a great opportunity to tweet up some Robert Reich and to say some bad things about Elon Musk and all that. Um, what are they going to get in taxes from Elon Musk this year? Uh, good question. Uh, the most that any Texans ever paid, no, perhaps. No, no, no. Oh, I'm sorry. California. Oh. What is California going to get? Oh, they're going to get zero. That's right. Yeah. Uh, so don't worry about the wealth tax on Elon. Yeah. Um, okay. So just you know, a couple of other quick stories. I know you got to get running, and I got to get running too. But uh, we've got uh, a great piece. So we've had now another mass shooting in California. This one in L.A. Some people may have missed this. For some reason, the media is not paying attention to this shooting at Beverly Hills. Did you follow this over the weekend, David? I did. A bunch of people staying at an Airbnb from out of state are sitting in a car on a street in Beverly Hills, and they are gunned down. There are several others injured at this place. Police have no suspects. They have no idea the motive. Oh, I thought they thought they thought they were at a party and some stuff happened well, at a party. All they all they know is there may have been a party there. That's oh. all they know. But they don't know anything else. They yeah. they aren't even sure that there was a party there. Um, That's there, awful. there wasn't a house that was rented out. You know, through Airbnb apparently. Um, but Newsom's response to all of this was to tweet out earlier yesterday that more people die in Texas from gun violence. Um, in other words, don't look over here, look over there. We're, we're far better. And when he's not talking about that, Newsom is talking about the fact that it's the fault of Republicans that California is going through a spate of gun violence. Um, I did actually have something here. Where did I put that story? Maybe you can help me. Um, it was Pritzker. Here we go. Let me go back uh, to a quick story here, David. I'll make this super fast. Um, story about no that's not the right one i know it's in here hang on um but yeah i'll find it here somewhere put it in the show notes but the the bottom line is newsom is constantly saying now david just every time he's in front of a microphone the fault the reason for gun violence in california is republicans and he's starting to try to become a little more nuanced about that it's the one with the pritzker story there it is thank you buddy um good to have sheridan here um so here's this is a story in um, uh, NBC News, and they're they're talking about Gavin Newsom and gun violence. Meanwhile, Newsom appears exasperated with Republicans as he dealt with the aftermath of at this point <laughs> in the publication cycle, a trio of mass shootings. Now we've had six in the last several days, in which at this point at least 19 people had died. "Quote: We can sit there and say thoughts and prayers, or we can look in the mirror and say this is the price, I guess, of whatever fill in the bank f- blank freedom." 
he's he's suggesting here, David, as you suggested earlier, that thoughts and prayers aren't enough, um, and then if offended if people don't publicly th- uh, offer thinking and prayer. Newsom suggested Republicans quote don't believe in public safety because they haven't taken action after mass shootings to prevent more. The number one death for children last year was gun-related, and you, Republicans, didn't do a damn thing. Congress is sitting on this, but you've got politicians that are banning not assault rifles, but the word Latinx. They're not even serious AP courses. What is going on in this country? Um, so it's interesting that he, again, uh, you know, fact check on Newsom. Uh, number one death for children last year was gun-related. I, I immediately just sort of looked up number one cause of gun of death, and there are a few studies out there that show that, yes, quote-unquote, children are dying at a higher rate than ever from gun violence, um, or that the, it, in other stories it's just the sheer number of kids dying. But children is defined as anybody 19 and under, uh, so you can imagine why that definitional distinction is is in play here that you know we're not really talking about kids and also you could find a number of stories from the same liberal media outlets that purport that the gun violence is on the rise and killing kids that covid was the number one killer last year of kids uh so depending on their political mood of the day the self-looking ice cream flavor they'd most like to indulge in whatever is out there climate change i don't know is killing kids um there, there is a challenge here, and I guess you know the one thing I would say is that we have the strictest gun laws, um, and yet we have gun violence. Newsom's response then is that nobody will do nothing except for Gavin Newsom, who says that uh, you know with due respect he likes to say when he's trying to sound thoughtful, we're out here alone trying to fight gun violence, and we can't unless there's federal action. So um, pretty clever, you, you, and he has. Um Charlie Cook was talking about this on Editors, another National Review podcast. I think Gavin has said we got to get rid of Second Amendment. Oh, yes. So so what I'm saying is I do think he's more intellectually honest than a lot of the others because they'll say like, oh, well, we're not doing anything. And then they won't point out that what you're proposing we do had nothing to do with the shooting that just took place. People can put a clip on a gun. They can, right. you know, they're ban- calling something semi-automatic is extremely... Um, dishonest uh, you know that kind of uh language isn't helpful but even from a policy standpoint i i don't know this thing in beverly hills but the other one that happened um goshen 70 year old guy Half moon bay monterey but Park. i'm saying there were like if they'd done even red flag laws and other yeah. background checks would have done anything well there this was- is yeah this is what we talked about last week um lance christensen and i that there is already a system in place a database and you i, I pointed out on the podcast last week that you and i've discussed this system twice now it's called apps which is the oh i gotta look for it the armed prohibited persons system database mm. that is where judges have ordered that guns be removed from the hands of the possession of people uh, for a variety of reasons, uh, some psychiatric, uh, you know, run-ins with the law, basically, or threats to, you know, spouses or whatever. These people aren't allowed to have guns. But the state backlog, the the state's inability to confiscate those guns, uh, to follow through on the promise of 2001 when this thing was created, reveals the idiocy of these laws. We've got laws on the books that prohibit people from getting guns, and we don't enforce those or can't enforce them. And yet Newsom is saying nobody's doing enough. So, yes, when he says, as he did in the quote, I just I, I want to read this because this is what he's saying. He is saying you got to eliminate the Second Amendment. And he says it by disparaging the Second Amendment. Um, you know, but uh, let's just be really clear. here. Here's what he says. We can sit there and say thoughts and prayers or we can look in the mirror and say this is the price, I guess, of whatever fill in the blank freedom. He's talking about the Second Amendment, fill in the blank, whatever freedom. So 
Yeah, I think you're right. It's more honest to be against the Second Amendment. I wish he were more, more forthright in his statements if that's what he's looking for and that's what he's promising to do if he becomes president. But he has States. been forthright before in saying the Second Amendment's got to go? Uh, no, he's criticized people who are um, unlimited advocates or just you know total supporters of the Second Amendment and have no questions about its application. Um, that's it. And, so, you're, and you're still not, you're not in the traditional conservative interpretation of the Second Amendment. I... I, you know, you you and I have discussed this over time. My own problem with it is that I think the the actual language of the Second Amendment says a well-organized militia being necessary to the defense of the state. Mm-hmm. That's in there. It is undeniable. For clo- I just, I honestly, David, this is a sincere challenge I have. I read the Second Amendment for what it says, not for what some people on the left or right would like it to say, and I don't know how to get around that problem of a well-organized militia. You, why would you include that language, I'm saying? That's all. Yeah, that that's just a remarkably not problematic by doing what we do with all other hermeneutics, other legal theory, is allowing the law to interpret the law. What is the use of the term in other contexts? What was the use of it by the people who wrote it? What was the use and understanding of it by the people they were writing to? And at that point, we get a context. I don't want to... Um, Suggest that it's like interpreting scripture, mm-hmm. but like to ever say like, "Hey, the words say what they say." Well, it's usually not so simple. It requires, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, some, mm-hmm. and I think additional analysis on that um, do, it, does allow a pretty clear understanding. It was referring to because you're yeah. my friend, because you're a super smart guy. I continue to try to figure that one out. Yeah. Like I, I just sure. you know, you're a very intellectually curious, honest person. Well, thank you. So. Um, we have, uh, I'm going to let it go after this, but we have, just to prove Gavin Newsom's point that California liberals com- con- are more concerned about gun violence than anybody else on the planet, uh, we've got a new bill from uh, Nancy Skinner of Oakland and Catherine Blakespear of, uh, I think it's Blakespear, of Encinitas, that's in San Diego County, uh, who are introducing a quote, you always love this with California legislators, a first-in-the-nation proposal that would require gun owners to buy liability insurance to cover the negligent or accidental misuse of firearms. I don't know how that passes constitutional muster. I just don't. That'd be like having a license to speak. Uh, That'd be like trying to require everyone to buy health insurance. Uh, You could do, yeah. Um, Okay, so David, uh, anything else before we uh, part and go to lunch? We cover a lot of ground. I have a meeting to get to, and uh, we're back at it next week. All right. Uh, That's all the time we have today. You can always find this podcast on the National Review website. You're going to want to stay tuned. I swear to you, David can leave because he already knows what I'm going to say. But it would be easier for you, my friends, who listen, and better for us if you just subscribe because that boosts our ratings. You can also email us with your comments and story suggestions. You'll find our email addresses and other fun details in our show notes. On behalf of my friend and co-host David Bonson, we give thanks as ever to session producers Lucas Klaus, Brian Tong, Brian's right here in the room, and Glenn Hall. And our researchers with us today in this space is Sheridan Swanson. And Brian, if you have just one moment, I'm going to turn the microphone to Sheridan and surprise her. Just say hi to everybody. That's all you got to do. Say hello. You got to lean forward a little more. Oh, hello. Hi. And you drove all the way up from uh, San Diego to uh, watch us sit and do this thing. I did. You are a good, good woman. So uh, Sheridan works for California Policy Center in our policy analysis department, which is vast. She is one of legions of galley slaves pulling out the oars there. Um, so we, I want to really sincerely, though, thank you, Sheridan. She often sends really terrific stories, as many of our listeners do. Also, Houston Reese and Alice Kachatri and all of our friends at National Review, especially Sarah Schutte. 
the producer of National Review Podcast. Thanks also to Metalachi, that's the LA-based mariachi metal band for our music. La Revolución continua la semana próxima. Oh, 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 oh